The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio with your host, Ann Gelsheimer. We are entering higher levels of consciousness with both old and new spiritual technologies to help us be the people we've always dreamed of being. We can make the choice to evolve in consciousness and become the change the world needs today. Now, here is Ann Gelsheimer. Hello, this is your host, Ann Gelsheimer, and welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio. I'm so pleased to introduce my guest tonight, Kevin Turner. Kevin is the Director for Asia a teaching faculty member, and a field research associate for the Foundation for Shamanic Studies. After years of study with yogis, monks, and lamas in India, Nepal, Southeast Asia, Taiwan, and Japan, Kevin met the legendary Michael Harner in 1997 and began a shamanic path. Kevin has worked with shamans in Mongolia, Indonesia, Nepal, Peru, and Mexico. In 2007, in a bit of a turnaround, he was invited to Mexico to train a group of Mayan elders in psychopomp work, which is assisting those who have died but have not transitioned well to the afterlife. He publishes his research into Mongolian shamanism in the annual Shamanism Journal and does regular presentations at the annual Foundation for Shamanic Studies Council Meetings. Kevin is also a facilitator at the Monroe Institute and practices remote viewing, which is clairvoyance under a scientific protocol. Kevin has been a Kriya Yogi since 1986. He was personally initiated by Swami Hari Harananda, the last living disciple of Sri Yukteswar in the original Karar Ashram in India, as described in Autobiography of a Yogi. He has also received initiations and training in the Karma Kagyu School of Tibetan Buddhism. Although born in in Arizona, uh, Kevin has actually lived in Asia for over 20 years and currently has a shamanic healing practice in Bali, Indonesia, Taipei, Taiwan, and Kyoto, Japan. I first met Kevin in 2013 during my own training with the Foundation for Shamanic Studies and I so enjoyed hearing his fascinating accounts of healings that he had witnessed, tests of shamanic ability in various countries, and also his work at the Monroe Institute, including with the remote viewing legend, Joe McGonigal. Kevin, I'm so pleased to welcome you to Conscious Evolution Radio. Thank you, Anne. Very nice to be here. Thank you. So let's start with your work as the Director for Asia with the Foundation for Shamanic Studies. Could you tell us about the Foundation's approach to shamanism, and in particular your role in Asia? Sure. The the Foundation for Shamanic Studies um, exists to uh, 
for three purposes. Uh, we, we teach, uh, we preserve shamanism, and we study and research shamanism. Um, in terms of teaching, we teach a universal shamanism, a, a kind of distillation of shamanic techniques uh, from all over the world called core shamanism. And these are the universal principles and practices of shamanism that are not bound to specific cultural groups or perspectives. And Michael Harner uh, did a great gift, uh, a great service to the world by uh, creating this uh, modern system of shamanism. Oh, and I know so many people have gone through his training programs. How long have they been running at this point? Oh, at least 30 years. I think Michael started about 40 years ago. Uh, the book Way of the Shaman was published in 1980, so we're talking about 35 years ago now. Uh, it became a full foundation. That's so impressive. Yes, I've really enjoyed my own training, the opportunities I've had. So tell us about your work in Asia as the uh, director there. Uh, what, what's happening? What have you started? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm teaching shamanism in seven or eight different countries in Asia. Wow. And it's been very well received. Um, even though indigenous shaman, shamans do still uh, live and practice in Asia, for the most part, modern persons in Asia do not have access to any kind of shamanic training or shamanic knowledge. So I've been providing a, a modern alternative uh, for contemporary people to have their own shamanic experience. That is so interesting. And I, I know that you've also, as, as I mentioned in your, your bio, that you've uh, brought shamanism back to some of the people who used to practice it, but because of the cultural erosion that's happened, they may have lost certain techniques. And I'm thinking of the psychopomp work that I mentioned in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Well, that is part of the preserving uh, aspect of our work, uh, where shamanism still does exist. Uh, we do our best to, to help indigenous peoples preserve their shamanism. It, it is being, or has been at least in the past, uh, lost to a, a very great degree. Uh, and another part of the work is to, uh, to help them uh, resurrect even shamanic practices that they may have lost and to, uh, to help them do that in their own way. So I was invited uh, to train a group of Mayan elders in Mexico uh, in psychopomp work. Uh, that is uh, assisting persons who uh, have not, trans not uh, transitioned well into the afterlife uh, to help them move on to uh, a transcendent sphere. Now, I have to ask about that because I know um, many people have asked me about psychopomp work. And under what conditions do people not transition well into the afterlife? Well, afterlife navigation is something that certainly can be learned during our life, and I think that it's a wonderful thing to practice. Uh, but for most of us, uh, we do go into the afterlife um, uh, with very little navigation experience. And so I think the vast majority of persons who, who die do go on to transcendent realms uh, easily, um, but there's probably a small percentage of us who, because of fear or rigid belief systems, or uh, great attachments um, may remain in the middle world or closer to this reality um, because we simply don't know how to navigate in the afterlife. And is it so, a difficult thing to assist them to move on? No, it's actually quite easy. Um, 
but we just need to learn how to traverse the shamanic realms first. So we need to be able to learn to shamanically journey, to travel to the upper worlds and the lower worlds and travel in the middle worlds as well. And once we're able to do that, then we are able to assist others. Now, I know some people listening to the interview will absolutely understand what upper worlds and lower worlds are because they're already practicing in shamanism. But could you Mm -hmm. tell us about that? Well, traditional shamans typically talk about an upper world and a lower world, although cultures have different ideas about what these transcendent spheres are like. Right. Um, transcendent spheres differ from the middle world where we are in the sense that there everybody gets what they need. So there isn't the kind of stress and conflict that we have here in the middle world. And so the, uh, cultures have different names for these areas, paradise, uh, the heavens, um, various areas. Uh, if a person doesn't transcend tra- or, uh, transition well into the afterlife, they may be uh, stuck in what's called a, a kind of a limbo or what we call the interworlds, um, where they, they simply uh, have difficulty to awaken enough out of uh, who they thought they were and so that they can move into the spheres where pe- everyone gets what they need. And so, so that- Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, there are ways to journey to these areas, and typically we talk about moving up and down a, a vertical axis uh, to the upper world or moving down a vertical axis to the lower world. Um, however, in Mongolia, for example, they'll talk about the eastern part of the upper world and the western part of the upper world, and they don't talk as much about a lower world. So it's really just uh, uh, perspectives. These are different frequencies of existence where there are... Uh, also, many helping spirits who are very compassionate, and they uh, are they are very happy and willing to help us here in the middle world because they know how tough it is here. I like that idea of different frequencies. Um, so it's attuning ourselves to the specific frequency of where we want to go. Could you tell us about helping spirits? Because for some people, that might be a slightly scary term. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there are many many uh, words for this. We can talk about guardian angels. We can talk about uh, helping spirits, compassionate spirits, uh, bodhisattvas, buddhas. Uh, There are also the many ranks of angels. There's seraphim and cherubim and archangels and angels and sub-angels and assistant angels. And there are many different kinds of terms we can use. And of course, in Sanskrit, And in Hebrew and Chinese, they're going to have all different kinds of terms. But we're talking about all compassionate spirits, those who are are interested in everyone's best interest here in the middle world. So they're both compassionate and wise. They're enlightened beings. You you could say so, yes. Okay, very good. So um, maybe we could talk about the sort of the core shamanic practices. You've already mentioned, we've talked, jumped right into psychopomp, which is a more advanced practice. But maybe we could talk about um, journeying and extractions and just to give an idea of what, what the foundation would be teaching. Okay. Well, the shaman's main work is twofold. One is healing and the other one is divination. Healing is obvious, and the other one, divination, is simply getting information from sources that are beyond the the normal senses, beyond the rational mind, beyond the five physical senses. So it's not only fortune-telling, but it's simply getting information uh, by spiritual means to be helpful to others. Very good. 
shamans do this by altering their state of consciousness so that they are able to perceive other worlds or other frequencies of existence. And they have the help of compassionate intelligences uh, from the transcendent levels of these other frequencies of existence. We use drums, we use rattles, you can use singing. There are many different ways uh, to alter consciousness so that we can perceive these subtle realms. It's actually very easy. In fact, Michael Harner loves to talk about how embarrassingly easy it is. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I also I have sat uh, in Zen Buddhist temples and I've done a lot of meditation. I lived in ashrams and monasteries all over Asia and uh, it, it's pretty tough work um, to get to a deep state of consciousness and meditation uh, can take quite a bit of time but uh, with shamanic journeying and a drum beat you can alter your state of consciousness to a very deep level very very quickly uh, surprisingly quickly and uh, that's why he talks about it being embarrassingly easy what is fascinating to me is that cultures all around the world recognized that uh, a four hertz drum beat or a four hertz sonic driving uh, with rattles or with click sticks or whatever you have um, can put you into a shamanic state of consciousness very, very quickly. Um, and so th this is really a human universal. This is discovered uh, and can be found in cultures all over the world. And uh, this is uh, the primary uh, method that we use for altering consciousness. And I know people do have uh, spontane spontaneous shamanic experiences that might then propel them into wanting to learn more about how to control it. Um, could of you course. could you tell us about the people who um, maybe who are feeling a little out of control at times? They're experiencing other realms, but uh, it's maybe uncontrolled. Well, I, I understand this well because as a child, I had spontaneous out of body experiences in which. Uh, I prefer to call them consciousness away from the body or awareness away from the body experiences um, rather than your soul leaving the body, although it can, it can be perceived like that or it can feel like that. Uh, very often, many of us, if not most of us, have had these experiences as a child, if not even as adults, uh, where we take a nap or we are in that place between dreaming and wakefulness and uh, we find that our awareness has moved away from our physical bodies and maybe outside, maybe at a distant place, maybe observing something. And then we later realize uh, that that was an actual perception, an actual experience. It was not just a dream. Um, and so these kind of experiences are very natural to all human beings. In fact, I would say shamanism is something completely natural to humankind. And that's why we find it in all times and in all places in one form or another. Uh, what's a, what the tragedy now is, is that because so much shamanic knowledge has been lost because of political and religious persecution, mm -hmm. that persons who are spontaneously having spiritual experiences don't have very many reference points to go to anymore. And so very much the work of the foundation and, and myself is to bring this knowledge back to the modern world so that people can discover and explore uh, our, our grand universe uh, on their own and in their own way. 
Well, that's one of the things I've loved about the training uh, with the foundation and, and also any any kind of shamanic training is the way it opens up reality. Sometimes it can feel like we live in a bit of a, a box in the West because of our materialism, but to, to get the idea that everything has consciousness and, and we can go in consciousness anywhere is so liberating. Yes. And shamans have been saying all along that the entire universe is alive. That even inanimate, in, even inanimate objects have soul, and while this this may sound naive, um, if we think about quantum physics, it is really very accurate. Literally, uh, the universe is a grand symphony of vibrations. Everything is alive. Everything is vibrating. In a sense, you could say everything has soul. Everything has consciousness, and in fact, everything that we may be perceiving is a result of consciousness. You know, that's something that often we sense as children, where, where the, li- the world just seems so much more alive. It's, it's like a re-enchantment coming back into shamanism and yes. waking up to the magic again. That is a beautiful term, Anne, re-enchantment, exactly. Well, we're going to take a short break for uh, a commercial, but when we come back, we're going to, I'd love to go back into your own journey of uh, just how you found the shamanic path, because you've had a very interesting life. So this is Ann Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio, and we'll be right back. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
are tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio, and we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to ConsciousEvolutionRadio at gmail.com. Again, that's ConsciousEvolutionRadio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello, this is Ann Gelsheimer. Welcome back. You're listening to Conscious Evolution Radio. And my guest today is Kevin Turner. And we've been talking about his fascinating studies with uh, shamanism in many different countries and his work with the Foundation uh, for Shamanic Studies uh, that is a worldwide organization, although founded in, in the USA. So, Kevin, um, I wonder if you could tell us what helped you make the transition from a more mystical path, maybe with uh, your, your life in ashrams and studying Buddhism, to shamanism? Well, I went to Asia in order to understand more about my... Uh, alternative perceptions or my spiritual perceptions that had been happening. As I mentioned before, I had childhood out-of-body experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, I was then an exchange student in Germany in high school. And uh, at this time, I was alone on my own for the first time at 17. And uh, I think uh, it was a natural state or a a very good uh, conditions for Uh, moving into an expanded state of awareness or extrasensory perception was put out there simply because I was not familiar. I didn't speak German well, uh, and I was on my own, really, for the first time. So uh, all these senses opened up, and I began to uh, perceive things outside of linear time and space. And uh, this was rather disconcerting at 17, uh, but I knew somehow inwardly that it was okay. Um, Nevertheless, it sent me uh, on a path of discovery, and I started to read more about uh, Eastern spirituality, Buddhism and Taoism and Hinduism. And I decided that uh, going to Asia was my path because I felt that the West simply didn't know enough. And so I was seeking the the masters that understood these realms and understood uh, spiritual realities. So I completed a master's degree in linguistics and I departed for Asia. And I, I, uh, so I spent about three years in India, a year in Nepal, Um, And more than 20 years in Asia in general, uh, traveling around, even though I did many different kinds of jobs, I worked for airlines, I worked for IBM, I taught at universities, Uh, I was always on the uh, seeking esoteric knowledge and seeking spiritual experience. Um, And these were all very rich experiences. Uh, I studied uh, with Tibetan lamas in Nepal and Kundalini yogis in India, uh, Zen monks in Japan. Uh, lived in Thai monasteries as well, uh, studied uh, with some mystics in Indonesia. Um, these were all wonderful experiences, but e- each one of them, um, I began to feel a bit uh, constrained by certain dogma that came along with it. It was usually tied to uh, some religious principles. Right. Um, and uh, I really wanted to get to the heart of the matter. Uh, with direct experience. And so I ended up in South America and had the opportunity, just like Michael Harner, to uh, to uh, ingest uh, ayahuasca. And this was a very interesting experience for me. I, I was experienced in psychedelics before, uh, but this opened up some new doors. And uh, when I later met uh, Michael in Vancouver, Canada, 
uh, I shared my experiences with him, and uh, we immediately became good friends. Uh, that was in 1997. Mm-hmm. Now, 18 years ago. Wow, I can hardly believe it. Right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, suddenly I realized that it wasn't just uh, yogis and lamas in India and Nepal and Tibet and other Asian masters that, that had some idea of what was going on in the larger reality, but uh, that these barefoot natives in the jungle had uh, extraordinary knowledge. Uh, so I began to look into shamanism and I began to study with Michael. Uh, I ended up with Mayan shamans and Mongolian shamans and Nepalese shamans and Tibetan shamans. And uh, it's really been quite a grand adventure. I'm so envious. <laughs> it just sounds amazing. <laughs> I wonder, I know you've seen so much, and I've heard some of yours. I just love hearing the accounts you have of the different things you've experienced. But I wonder if you would share with our listeners uh, maybe some of the healings that you've witnessed, because not everybody may understand, well, one, what would constitute a healing, but also the amazing things that shamanism can assist with. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Once again, shamans are not working alone. Shamans are working with their compassionate spirits. And most shamans uh, are very humble because they know very well that it is the power of these compassionate spirits that is being lent to them. And that the miracles that can happen are happening because of these compassionate spirits. Uh, Of course, the the shaman is playing an important intermediary role. uh, So... They're, they're not discrediting themselves or anything, but they're, they're just very humble in knowing that, that the miracles are happening because of these helping spirits. That makes sense. So what have you seen? <laughs> oh, well, all kinds of things. I mean, uh, just in, in San Francisco, uh, and this, this will be a portion of my book on Mongolian shamanism that is coming out about one year from now. Oh, very good. Uh, a Mongolian shaman that I happened to know in Mongolia was visiting uh, San Francisco when I was giving a presentation on Mongolian shamanism. And uh, so just surprise, surprise, she was there. Uh, and so it was very uh, happy reunion to see her again. And uh, she volunteered to do uh, healings for four persons uh, at the end of the meeting. Um, and this was in uh, 2011. Mm-hmm. And uh, or no, I'm sorry, beginning of 2012, and uh, there was a woman in the audience who volunteered. Uh, she she had uh, MS um, and uh, uh, could not walk well. Uh, so uh, this uh, Mongolian shaman did a healing for her, and uh, within a few weeks or a few uh, months, I don't recall exactly how long it was, she set her cane aside and was able to uh, walk. Uh, uh, very much better uh, for the first time and she had had a a degenerative MS uh, for uh, 10 years uh, with no improvement so that's that's quite remarkable that is beautiful Um, also uh, just in my own personal experience uh, there I was teaching a course in Tokyo in shamanism and there was a Japanese psychiatrist on the course at the end, she asked me if I would like to go visit one of the Ainu elders uh, who was in the hospital dying of cancer uh, in Tokyo. Now, the Ainu are the indigenous group, the native uh, group of Japan. Uh, they live in the north now. They were pushed uh, northern to the northern areas of Japan uh, by the Japanese uh, many years ago. 
Uh, it's been a long, slow process, but they are very, very similar to uh, Native Americans and First Nations persons in North America in a sense that they've been very marginalized and their cultures really has been uh, absorbed. They have been absorbed into Japanese culture. So she was one of the last myth song keepers of her culture and she was in her early 80s. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to go visit her. <clears throat> so we arrived at the hospital and she was in a wing, uh, essentially the hospice wing, um, as most of the people there were not expected to, uh, to leave the hospital. Um, so there were probably a dozen patients in this large room. Uh, we went to visit her and uh, she was just marginally conscious but enough to talk to us for a little while. And then uh, the Japanese psychiatrist uh, asked her, would you like to have a shamanic healing? <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> volunteering you. <laughs> yeah, so she volunteered me right there. And so there's doctors and nurses and a dozen, dozen other patients all in this one large room. Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> because I had taught uh, the course, I had my rattles with me. So I said, okay. Well, she said, yes, please give me healing. And I, so I did it right there. I pulled out my rattles and I called my helping spirits and I passed power to her and I did an extraction uh, and I did some other work in non-ordinary reality. And, uh, and then she just kind of passed out. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> Uh-oh. You know, and I started looking toward the door. Oh, no. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I knew she was okay, but I, I thought, okay, well, maybe this hastened the process. <laughs> In a good way, I had hope. So we left because she just kind of fell asleep. And uh, two days later, the Japanese psychiatrist called me, uh, very excited, and said, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, you won't believe what happened. Uh, the next morning after we left, she slept all through the rest of the day, she woke up in the morning and shouted, I am Ainu and I will not be defeated. Oh my goodness. And, and then she, uh, she basically got out of bed and, and walked away. And the, <laughs> she went home? <laughs> the doctors uh, re-examined her and uh, she has no trace of the cancer. And uh, they came to the conclusion that she had been misdiagnosed, and she was released from the hospital the next day. That is She amazing. had been in there for six months with no expected recovery. And had probably had umpteen different tests proving that there was cancer in her system. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what all the, all the uh, tests said, but anyway, it was, uh, it was very exciting. And so actually she's back in Hokkaido now, the northern island of Japan. And she previously had no students to learn the myth songs of the Ainu. Uh, but she now has five students, young students, who are learning the songs as well as other traditional uh, Ainu skills. Um, and apparently she's even healthier and more powerful and more energetic now than she was before she got ill. So, what a beautiful anyway. story! What a beautiful oh. account! Yeah, the, I think the helping spirits really did not want her to leave this world. That's exactly uh, what I'm thinking. Yeah, without passing that knowledge on, and it was just convenient that I happened to be passing by and could act as an intermediary. And probably that was all part of the plan too. How beautiful! I, I guess so. So it's a, yeah, it's very exciting work. 
Now, I remember you told me about a time in Mongolia where a shaman is, is a very performance-based kind of practice. You, ha- you have to be able to perform. And so you were tested, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Well, that was very good. I made two summer trips to Mongolia because of uh, various conferences on shamanism, but I ended up becoming acquainted with so many shamans uh, that I was asked by a publisher to write a book about it. So I returned to Mongolia and I interviewed uh, dozens of shamans while I was there. Um, but many of them were, were very circumspect and, and suspicious of why I wanted to know about their shamanic practices. Um, and it, probably because many anthropologists and different kinds of researchers had been there before, and they didn't really have an inside track knowledge of shamanism. They maybe had read some books, but they were not shamanic practitioners. So it was difficult for them to really understand what the shamans were talking about. So they tended not to really give very good answers to my questions about their shamanic practices. Uh, And I finally grew frustrated once and said, well, I am a shamanic practitioner too. And they said, oh, so you're a shaman, are you? And And I said, yes. Now, that's normally not what we do. At the, at the foundation, we don't usually talk about ourselves as being shamans, rather shamanic practitioners. Right. But I thought it was time to just say, okay, you know, I'm one of you. I can understand what you're talking about. So please uh, feel free. And they said, well, prove it. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay. Uh, so I took the challenge. And uh, so the, that happened six times in Mongolia. And uh, as luck would have it, or with lots of help from the helping spirits, uh, I passed all six tests with flying colors. Uh, Not that I always do, but uh, those uh, six tests uh, just happened to uh, go very well. And so uh, I am acknowledged by a number of shamans in Mongolia that I am actually a shamanic practitioner. So they understand that the work that we're doing at the foundation is real, that we are not just playing Indian, that we are actually operating in shamanic realities. Would you be able to share one of the tests? Uh, sure. Well, the, the very first one uh, was uh, for the chief of the Darkhad shamans. Uh, Darkhad is an is a area of Mongolia. Uh, some people consider it to be the, one of the more original areas of Mongolian shamanism. Um, I met, I met uh, he and his wife at uh, a grand meeting of 400 shamans, pro- possibly the largest uh, meeting of shamans that's ever occurred in history. Uh, it was out uh, in Kenti, uh, an area where uh, Genghis Khan was from. And the, the Mongolians very much consider Genghis Khan uh, a shaman as well, not not just a, a conqueror. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, they have a very different uh, sense of history uh, regarding Genghis Khan. Uh, but that's another story. Um, so... Uh, his wife said, prove it, and so uh, do a diagnosis for my husband. So uh, I didn't have my rattles at that time, but I had a pencil in my hand. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> so, great. So I simply imagined that my pencil was a rattle, and I shook the pencil and imagined that I was hearing the rattle in the particular shamanic uh, sonic driving hertz, four hertz, uh, four uh, beats per second. Uh, 
And that was enough to alter my state of consciousness, and I entered a non-ordinary reality of perception, and I gave uh, a correct diagnosis of his health, uh, and why, and how, and uh, how long he would be living, uh, et cetera, et cetera, because they asked for that specifically. And uh, uh, my interpreter at the time was thinking... (laughs) I think by her face anyway, she thought, oh my gosh, this this guy's crazy. Um, But I just continued on, and at the end of it, uh, they paused and they said, well, that's amazing. That is exactly what not only his doctor in the hospital said in in central Ulaanbaatar, the, the capital, but also a very expert shaman gave the same diagnosis. And they said, wow, you, you really are a shaman. And then they opened up and they, they showed me many of their uh, secret shamanic uh, tools and implements um, that, they, that they had not shared with others before. Oh, thank you for sharing. That is so impressive and so interesting. We're going to take another quick break. Um, uh, so this is Ann Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio, and we will be right back. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You are tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio, and we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email 
to Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Again, that's Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, this is Ann Gelsheimer. You're listening to Conscious Evolution Radio, and my guest today is Kevin Turner. We've been talking about his work as a shamanic practitioner and the, the fascinating journeys he's had and the tests that he's experienced and the healings he's seen. I want to switch a little bit over now to his work with the Monroe Institute. Kevin, would you tell us about that? Sure. Uh, the Monroe Institute is... Um, a consciousness exploration uh, organization. It's also a nonprofit, like the Foundation for Shamanic Studies. And uh, I would say that the Monroe Institute is a homegrown uh, form of modern shamanism that was uh, discovered uh, by Robert Monroe. He started having uh, spontaneous out-of-body experiences when he was uh, in his early 40s. And he, uh, he was the curious type, so he explored further and further and further. Uh, these out-of-body experiences are really just another term for shamanic journeys, but he was not familiar with the term uh, uh, shamanism at the time. Um, but he eventually discovered that his experiences were not just dreams, they were real. And uh, so he ended up writing uh, three books, uh, Journeys Out of the Body and Far Journeys and Ultimate Journey. And he actually, he, would, he and Charles Tart uh, coined the term uh, out-of-body experience. Up to that time, it had been called astral projection or dream body or second body or spirit body or shamanic journeying, of course. Uh, so uh, he started, in a sense, a whole new uh, category of research and experience. That's, and then he, mm-hmm. he discovered uh, a, a method of actually drumming. It's a kind of shamanic drumming, except that it's using two different beats in each ear to take people into what I consider to be a shamanic state of consciousness very quickly and very deeply. And so the people would, like he did, were able to then have away from the body experiences or a, awareness away from the body experiences to explore spiritual realms. And I understand, I know there's different levels of program. Is it the Gateway program that's the first one? Mm-hmm. The Gateway is the first week. Uh, that's where it's, uh, we mostly learn middle world journeying, uh, to use shamanic terms, uh, meaning we're, we are more exploring the local areas. Uh, at the foundation, we tend, uh, well, we do, we start uh, journeying with the transcendent realms first, and we journey in the middle, middle world later. So it's a little bit of a turnaround, but... Uh, uh, we are simply following uh, the path that uh, Robert Monroe uh, uh, cut himself. Right. Because he started with middle world journeying first, and then he later discovered the transcendent realms. So they also do psychopomp work there, assisting those who did not transition into the afterlife well. Um, they also teach a psychokinesis and uh, remote viewing or, or clairvoyance under a scientific protocol. Um, and we have many different kinds of consciousness exploration uh, courses. So I, I'm also a facilitator there. So I fly uh, back to Virginia usually twice a year, and I teach two weeks of courses there. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it gives me a different kind of uh, experience and a different kind of group of people. Uh, we get a lot of scientific people coming because uh, uh, it is based uh, in a lot of brainwave studies. 
Um, and of course, uh, Robert Monroe was uh, also very instrumental in uh, training the early remote viewers uh, who were the, uh, the U.S. Uh, Army intelligence uh, psychic spies. Uh, yes, this really happened. Uh, it's all been declassified since 1995. Uh, so it's a pretty interesting. Uh, at the time, uh, he was assisting them to not remote view better, but rather to get into the state of consciousness more quickly so they could remote view better. So how is uh, remote viewing being used now? I, I know those old spy programs were there, but people of all walks are learning to how, how to remote view. How is it being used? Well, for me, remote viewing is, is a wonderful tool to know simply because it is a structured clairvoyance. So rather than just spontaneous uh, impressions, um, it, is a, it is a methodology um, for divination, for shamanic divination. In other words, getting information by means other than the ordinary senses or the ordinary rational mind. Um, so to me, the benefit of remote viewing training is, is that we can simply become more intuitive in our daily lives. However, uh, it was uh, designed uh, initially as a spying uh, uh, system um, of course, the Soviets used it, the Chinese used it, uh, the Americans used it, and probably many other intelligence agencies used it and still are using it. Um, so these, these are dubious purposes. Uh, in shamanism, we might call it uh, sorcery, um, but uh, that is also part of the duality of the middle world. And so this is, of course, what, what uh, intelligence agencies and military uh, aspects of government are involved in. So in a sense, it's their job. Now let's, let's just uh, pick up on that for a moment. We're not going to spend much time on sorcery, but could you yeah. help people understand the difference between the practice of shamanism and sorcery? Mm -hmm. Well, shamanism is uh, where the shaman works for the benefit of others. So this is a little bit, this is where the shaman differs from the mystic path. The mystic path tends to be a person who drops out of society, goes to live in a cave or a monastery, shaves their head, changes their name, renounces everything, and they are seeking spiritual liberation, seeking spiritual enlightenment. Uh, so this is something that is usually done from in isolation away from uh, that person's community. So um, uh, the shamanic path is... Uh, quite different in the sense that the shaman remains living in their community, is very often married, has children, has a day job, uh, whether they're a farmer or a hunter or whatever in the indigenous case. Of course, in modern shamans, they could be working uh, in an office. And then they shamanize at night. And this is all in service of the community. So there's a very much of a self-sacrifice uh, aspect to this and uh, that's considered to draw the attention and the compassion of the helping spirits all the more. Um, so essentially shamanism in our definition at the foundation is that which is helping others and sorcery would be uh, doing psychic work or uh, spiritual work in service of self or taking choice away from other persons. So we, we don't teach sorcery, we don't practice sorcery, and we certainly don't recommend practicing it. Now, the helping spirits certainly wouldn't be interested in partaking no. in sorcery. So no, who, and we, who are we the also work, We work only with transcendent spirits, uh, 
uh, at the foundation. And so, therefore, if one engages in sorcery or self-service or, I should say, excessive self-service, then the helping spirits will simply withdraw their support. And that that shamanic practitioner will typically lose lose their powers very, very soon, usually within a year or so. Okay, that makes sense. That is very interesting. Now, what what kinds of things did uh, the shaman do for the community? I mean, we've talked about healings, but I know there were a lot of really practical things that the shaman could assist the community with, from hunting to all kinds of things. Well, in terms of divination, I mean, shamans have been helping uh, humankind survive uh, probably for 100,000 years, if not longer. Um, so all along, shamans have been asked uh, to uh, to divin, to divine, uh, what the weather will be, what what uh, how to communicate with plants and animals for agriculture, for for better hunting. In the far north, of course, the shamans were asked where which way did the caribou go? Because uh, if you went a hundred miles in one way or another and it was the wrong direction, then you might not have anything to eat and might just starve. So uh, survival uh, was very much a part of of shamanism, uh, helping a human being survive. Let's live in this cave, not the other cave, because that one is full of bears. So (laughs) That's practical. (laughs) (laughs) So shamanism is is extremely practical. It's uh, it's not uh, a belief system. It's really about what works. And so um, shamans will use techniques and methods if they work. So the same with healing. Of course, thousands of years ago, there were no doctors, in the, as we think of them in the, in the present sense. They, there were only doctors of the soul. And doctor of the soul is another definition for shamanism, meaning bringing the soul and the body and the personality, the middle world personality here, into harmony. Uh, illnesses are considered to be a, a symptom of disharmonies between spirit and soul and, and our personalities and our physical bodies here. So that, that's where the shaman comes in as a doctor of the soul to return that harmony. And he works not only for individuals in returning the harmony, but also for the whole community. So when there's <laughs> droughts and things like that, that's understood as disharmony as well, right? Oh, yes, Definitely. So now some of us have heard of the path of the wounded healer and and how many people who land up on a shamanic path have had a serious illness. Would you care to talk about that at all? Well, it is interesting. There there are many parallels. Uh, um, A good friend of mine who uh, was in the Stargate remote viewing unit talks about uh, one in every 200 persons in the world is actually a world-class psychic. Um, at the same time, uh, he often likes to ask the question, uh, how many people in the world are psychic? What percentage? And, of course, the answer is 100%. Well, that's because the soul and the soul's consciousness knows no limit. We all are the soul, our, our souls, and so we are all psychic, of course. Uh, however, how that manifests here in the middle world, though, is very much like musical talent. Everybody can learn to play a simple song on a piano or a guitar, uh, but others of us will be more motivated, will practice more, uh, will be more naturally talented. And so there will always be a distribution of musical talent across humankind. 
um, there will only be a few Beethovens, uh, and the, then there'll be the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So uh, uh, I forgot where I was going with this, but uh, what was your original question again? I'm just thinking about the wound path of the wounded healer. Oh, and yes, wounded healer. Well, what is interesting is is that uh, uh, many of the of the best shamans and the best psychics uh, had difficult uh, uh, lives, um, uh, and because of those difficulties, often the uh, the psychic abilities were expanded in order to survive. Um, uh, however, I didn't have a particularly traumatic childhood or anything, but uh, but many persons have, and uh, so again that survival skill. Uh, uh, often uh, uh, breeds uh, psychic abilities. I think uh, even persons uh, who have been under duress, like policemen uh, or soldiers, um, they become very, very sensitive to hunches and intuitions. Um, And so any policeman, almost any soldier who has seen combat can tell you that uh, they will have sensations, they'll have feelings, it's time to duck, uh, or it's time to get down, and then kaboom, then in, there's incoming missiles or mortar shells or whatever the case may be, or a bullet whizzes by. Um, so, so Kevin, this is, yes, this is very natural for all human beings. So we just have a few minutes to the end, and I, I want to make sure that people know about the programs that you're offering. Oh, thank so, you. So tell us about the three-year course just uh, briefly, because people will also be able to go to your website by clicking on the guest page. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Well, I'm offering uh, the, the uh, three-year program of advanced initiations in shamanism and, and shamanic healing designed by Michael Harner, offered by the Foundation for Shamanic Studies. Uh, I'll be offering this uh, in Bali uh, in late November and early December. Uh, we'll be meeting for 12 days uh, once a year for three years. So we'll be meeting uh, in three Novembers for 12 days. And uh, this... Uh, uh, course is really unparalleled uh, in the world. Um, it is uh, a group of it is a, a grouping of advanced initiations. Um, it involves an intensive, extended training and progressively higher levels of very advanced shamanism, including initiations into uh, rare and little-known practices and principles. Uh, it does have a few prerequisites. Uh, people need to take at least four two-day courses. Uh, in advance, and uh, those uh, information about that can be found at my website. That's perfect. And um, we're just we're getting into the last about a minute and a half, but I know that you uh, mentioned to me on the break that your book is going to be released in um, next year on April twelfth, which is approximately one year from the date of the airing of this show. So that is very exciting. Yes, it is very exciting. It's taken quite a while. Well, I want to thank you so much. Um, I, I hope you'll come back because you have so many wonderful stories to share and you're such a wonderful guest. But thank you for taking the time from Kyoto and your busy schedule to be a guest on this program. Thank you, Anne. It's been a pleasure. This is Anne Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio and thank you so much for listening. Have a good evening. Thank you again for tuning in to Conscious Evolution Radio. Please join Ann Gelsheimer for another great show next Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We hope to see you next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.